So at first it was a hobby and then it became a job and then it became like everything to me, that it was the only thing that mattered. It was just what I did and that was it. Everything else was not even second. It just didn't exist. It was just this, it was so tunnel vision because they tell you as an elite athlete, you have to have tunnel vision. This was so singularly focused that it actually did more harm than good. It gave me that competitive edge, but it also went so far that it like crushed me from the inside. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was figure skater and Olympic bronze medalist Gracie Gold. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. We find the very best people to talk about the biggest Olympic talking points every single week. If you love the Olympics, subscribe now wherever you find your podcasts. Olympic Channel Podcast. At 23, Gracie Gold is already a figure skating veteran. Her junior career was incredible. And in 2014, she won the US national title and came back from the Olympics at Sochi 2014 with an Olympic bronze medal in the team event. She also finished fifth overall at those Olympics. A second national US title followed in 2016. But 2017 was different. She withdrew from some competitions due to treatment for anxiety, depression and an eating disorder. At points, she even contemplated taking her own life. She started to feel better, but even so, her initial combat to competition seemed a little bit too soon. Now she's taking things a bit slower, realising that it's a day-by-day process. Andrew Binner went to see her in Lausanne, Switzerland, to see how she's getting along. Olympic Channel Podcast. You guys as Olympic medalists, you know, us that haven't been at that level, kind of see you guys as superheroes, these like elite sports machines and... I think people sometimes forget that you guys have the same human emotions that the rest of us have and you have all these eyes on you and is there like a pressure for you guys that you're almost there's like a macho culture almost that as an elite sports athlete you have to be tough and all that sort of thing. Um, A lot of people were asking me like oh it seems like something's wrong like how are you doing. Um, So of course my answers weren't you know the right answers they were I'm fine I'm just feeling tired. Um, I'm just struggling. A lot of times I put it on like my physical training, like, oh, I'm just feeling out of shape. I'm just feeling overweight to kind of redirect the conversation away from, I think I'm having some sort of problem. I didn't even really know how to put it. I didn't even know like the name for it yet. Um, so then of course they said, well, you know, just, and then they listed, you know, other things for me to do. And, and some of them were like, you know, just keep pushing through, like everybody has tough times. So yes and no. Um, if they knew how severe it was, there's no way they would have told me, oh, just, you know, just work out more, just eat better, just, um, you know, tough it out. You know, they were just trying t- to help. Um, but if they actually knew, they wouldn't have said that. And is there an extra pressure on sports where you get judged, essentially, like figure skating? I mean, it's not like running where you beat someone because you're faster or slower than them. It's also about what you look like and your presentation is very important. So for someone that might have body confidence issues, do you think there should be more support in something like figure skating? 
I think I think that the aesthetic part of figure skating and like a couple other sports for me in particular has played it's been very difficult but it is difficult for everyone because yeah there's an aesthetic side as well as the athletic side that isn't that's unique to just a few sports so it's been it's like that's a difficult thing because if I don't feel like I look the part even if I skate amazing I still feel like I don't look the same I don't look like the other girls I'm not thin enough I'm not pretty enough my dress isn't sparkly enough it's like a whole thing that is almost became more important to me than the sport itself when I was really struggling is oh I didn't skate well today but oh my gosh I look great today well like I'm not a model so I don't get paid for my looks it's just a factor of it like I get paid to do my job which is figure skating, right? Like that's what I want to do is to skate well. Um, it definitely adds another layer that I don't think people appreciate all the time. I get the impression that when you're an elite figure skater like you are, um, it's your be all and end all. Um, has what you've been through, is that going to change your mentality when you get back to competition, do you think? It's already changed a little bit. Um, so it used to feel like a job. So at first it was a hobby and then it became a job and then it became like everything to me that it was the only thing that mattered it was just what I did and that was it everything else was not even second it just didn't exist it was just this it was so tunnel vision because they tell you as an elite athlete you have to have tunnel vision this was so singularly focused that it actually did more harm than good it gave me that competitive edge but it also went so far that it like crushed me from the inside. So now I try to think of it more as a lifestyle. So there's different things to do in my life that contribute to, you know, like being an elite athlete, but that it's not so exclusive. Kind of, kind of like just the same way, like if you think about like people, um, like when they want to change like their weight or their physique, you know, there's like a lifestyle, there's like crash diets that are, like rigorous and aggressive and do more harm than good. And then there's like lifestyle choices. So you can still go out for your birthday or someone, you know, an event or the holidays, but ultimately you're living like an overall healthier lifestyle. So what was the moment which made you speak out about how bad the issues actually were and how did that make you feel once you had kind of spoken out about it? So it was in the summer, it was August of 2017. And it was weird, it wasn't, there wasn't like a particular light bulb moment where I just thought, ugh, gotta tell someone. Um, no, I was just like doing something and there's this lovely teen doctor and she just, you know, asked kind of what's up and like, how are you? And she had asked about something personal and I gave her and like the answer was not good. So I gave her this kind of dark, sarcastic remark that left her kind of feeling like, huh? And then I just started explaining and giving more context to what had happened. And then I just ended up going through this like entire year and a half. And she just stood there like with her just jaw hanging open. And she was like, Gracie, you know, this is a real issue. Like this sounds like really traumatic and like what you're going through. And then I just, she just started questioning me and I just started telling her, like, I don't know why, I think just cause it just kind of snowballed. So I ended up just telling her like almost the entire story start to finish. And then she did some reaching out and was like, this is like a code red emergency. Like this is, we have to get Gracie some help. 
And how did that make you feel that you had offloaded that on someone else? Um, a little guilty at first because I find I struggled a lot with, um, especially people close to me. So at first, so it did end up feeling like a relief to tell somebody, but yet at the same time, I kind of felt like a burden all of a sudden because I knew, of course, that they were going to want to help, but then I knew that that came with, they were going to have to do a lot of things for not one of their top contenders of that year thus far and kind of like not deserving of it. And then I knew it was going to cost a bunch of money because things in life cost money. And I was like, uh, should have just like, probably shouldn't have said anything. Um, you know, just me oversharing as per usual. Um, but I also felt a little guilty because I think I think it's hard sometimes, especially when people are struggling with mental health type issues, um, telling someone. And then I found that I felt like a burden because then I ended up like comforting them because they felt so bothered by the information that I had told them and they didn't know how to react. So then I ended up comforting them about my problem that I shared with them, which is just this weird thing where that's why it ends up being better just saying like, I'm fine. Um, you said you felt guilty initially, but there must've been a point at which you thought, I'm really glad that I did that because is that the turning point to helping you get back to recovery? So at first, um, I would say it was probably halfway through my stay in treatments. I started becoming more more welcoming of the idea that like there was more of life to yet be lived because I was kind of at a point where like I don't I don't necessarily say that I was suicidal like I didn't have like a plan I didn't have like a date I needed it done by but I did have this like sense of this sense that like maybe maybe we were coming to a close soon um, but like, I didn't have any plans. Like I wasn't, I would say like, I wasn't necessarily at a risk for myself, but it was something that was starting to loom. Like the clouds were rolling in, which is terrible enough. So then I kind of went to treatment, not on a whim, but at first I was like, oh, here's, you know, the difficult one. Here's difficult Gracie, just causing trouble. She's getting shipped off to like, you know, a treatment facility. Um, almost kind of like this should be really interesting like let's see what it's like and then after I got there um, being kind of immersed in that hands-on treatments really kind of was a pivotal point in my life. It was definitely something that I struggled with kind of feeling that you know depression was a weakness like anxiety was a weakness um, that it was yeah it made me like less strong and obviously to be an elite athlete, like we pride ourselves in being tough and being strong. And so to feel like part of me was weaker than everyone else um, was something that definitely threw me off. And I just, you know, keep going through it, keep going through it. Um, what helped me is when someone told me, if you had a broken ankle and you kept training on it, um, would you feel like super tough and powerful or would that be, you know, a terrible idea? Would people cheer you on like wow you're so strong you've got a broken ankle no they would say like you're dumb like what are you doing like you need to rest it you need to get it treated um and you know like i wouldn't be so hard on myself if i had a physical injury but then suddenly it was like a mental health issue and it was almost like a mental injury and i did not and i don't think a lot of us treat ourselves with the same kind of care 
where we just like push through it, push through it, and we're just so hard on ourselves. Like when really there's a chem- there was a chemical imbalance in my brain. But for me, it was like, eh, you're weak, like tough it out. But I think that for me, it was understanding that there was, that it wasn't something like I made up because like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't strong enough, that it was an actual ailment and like an actual illness that, you know, kind of made it like this real thing where it wasn't that there was something wrong with me. It was a real issue that we had to address. So I think framing the like mental health kind of issues in a different way, that depression isn't just being sad and like anxiety is not just being nervous and it's not like, it's not a deficit. It's just something that happens. It's just an illness or an injury of your brain instead of your body. And it should be treated and respected the same way. And you said earlier that once you sort of came out with what you're struggling with, a lot of people reached out to you and said they've been struggling with the same things. Firstly, that must have gave, given you some comfort that other people go through the same things. And secondly, sort of how does it feel to almost be a bit of an inspiration to these people that might not be elite athletes that you're kind of using your forum to help other people? So at first I was shocked, um, like at the amount of positivity, because I for, for you to be on social media and for 90, 95% to be positive, and only five, ten percent to be negative. That is like an overwhelming, especially on like Twitter, or Instagram. That's amazing. Like I've won competitions, and I would say it was sixty forty. So the fact that like, you know, this was so, just so well received, and then it was also a little bit concerning, like how many people were struggling. That I guess people just don't. I mean, it's life, so there's times that are going to be, you know, really, really difficult, and, you know, so that's something to be understood. Like, it's not like depression is unique to this generation, but I do think that the freedom of talking about it is nice, and it is going to change things, Um, because you just, I mean, you can just look at the news. Like, how often, like, how often do even high-profile, high-successful people, you know, kill themselves? Anthony Bourdain, we lost Kate Spade, like we've lost, I've lost friends, um, I almost lost my own life, we've lost Olympians, like it's definitely becoming clear that this is a huge issue, and the fact that people think that, I don't I guess I struggled because I felt like my, when, it, this, when all of my issues were first happening, I was kind of embarrassed about them, so I definitely felt like a lot of shame surrounding it. So at first I almost, my initial thought was like, I need to make a statement kind of explaining it to people, um, almost so I can backtrack and explain like why, like I wasn't at the Olympics. Um, I get like, that's kind of what I was originally feeling. And then other people were thinking like, no, you have to share your story because it's inspirational. And I was like, it's not, in, it's not inspirational, it's embarrassing. And they were like, well, like as per usual, you're wrong, but okay. Um, and I just like didn't believe them, I guess, until like this huge amount of people were like, you're inspiring. And then, yeah, I mean, definitely in the skating community, I'm not like, not like the poster child for mental health. Cause that sounds like a weird comparison, but, um, it, I, I know that it's definitely made an impact, but it's still weird. Cause I don't feel like I should be an inspiration to anyone. Um, but I guess like how cocky for me to do something and be like, I'm an inspiration. So can you imagine like 
just inspiring people like mm. um yeah you said it's a little weird but it must feel a little good as well to to help to know that you're helping other people through their struggles yeah and it's it is a little bit yeah i mean the fact that i can give them any kind of hope is incredible because at the end of the day like that was my number one thing probably was the fact that i was living without hope um The fact that I was living without hope was probably the number one kind of killer of my life. Because um, without that, like, really, what do any of us, like, what's the point of living? There's no hope about the future or anything. Like, we might as well not be here. Um, and it was also a little bit validating as well, which, you know, is kind of like a strange take on it. But um, to be invalidated, like, as a human can be really damaging. So imagine if I'd come out to this whoever this person was and I'd said like oh like I'm super depressed I'm having anxiety you know my eating disorder is out of control and they just said eh I think you're fine that you know what that what they're telling me is like your problems are not real and they are not important but to me they are so like the kind of validation that I found and the fact that I really wasn't alone and that all of these people not only have these things but were inspired by my story kind of gave me this incredible feeling that I hadn't really had before. So I want to talk about skaters these days, like you've grown up in an age of social media. Do you think that adds a really big extra layer of complication for athletes that everyone's got an opinion, but back in the day, no one could share it directly with you guys, whereas now they can, and you're essentially being judged online by all these people all the time. Is that also playing a big part in people having mental health issues at such an elite sports level? I think that there've always been mental health issues at an elite level but because of such a strong stigma and brushing it under the rug i don't think that we knew i think that just the world is a different place than it was because of social media for good and for some bad um like you said yeah anyone can reach out and just say exactly what they're thinking of you um good or bad and it's just something that you kind of have to accept um and it is hard sometimes people say oh just you know just ignore it just don't read it well, if I want to read the good things or the responses, I'm going to see some of the bad. And um, yeah, it's a new way of communication, obviously. It's difficult to, but previously, no one could just anonymously tell you, you know, like you're the worst. Now they can, but they can also tell you a lot of good things. Um, it's, I think that social media has altered this entire generation and the entire world just you know in real life and in sports i know that there's a photo of me posted someone took from a like just from a practice just from me wherever and if it's an unflattering photo maybe i don't like it it doesn't matter because everyone's looking at it everyone's commenting on it there's a little less you can you can control a lot of your narrative but then there are also things that you can't um yeah, I guess I've never, there's a different level of harassment that you can experience in this kind of age of social media than you could previously. Um, I guess if somebody wanted to be harassed, they'd have to do it to your face or write a letter, which I don't think has like, it doesn't have that same immediate impact of someone just tweeting you, someone commenting on your photo. Um, and I think that it's just, I'm not sure that it necessarily heightens mental health issues but I think that it plays a big factor in it because it's just a new way that people can get to you. Having been through what you've been through, 
if a young girl or boy came to you and said they were experiencing some of the things that you've been through, what would your advice be to them? When I first was having issues, I really struggled with being mad at other people because like, how did they not see? Like I wasn't myself for months and nobody noticed. Well, they did notice, but at what point they didn't know also what to say, which, you know, it's like, what do you say when you kind of feel like someone might be super depressed, they're having like a lot of internal issues, you know, as someone who's, you know, like a bystander, then what do they say? Like, it just becomes this thing of no one really knows what to do um, until it gets to like a certain severity, in which case then it becomes more clear. But kind of when it's starting, like, do you say something? Do you just let it go? Like, do you let them find their way? And I, and of course, like, I, yeah, I wasn't telling anyone. I was just saying, you know, just the generic answers to avoid the real issues that I was experiencing. So, of course, you know, what could certain people do? I've actually had a lot of people reach out, um, particularly through social media and say, um, just, you know, people that I don't know, some people that I do know saying, oh, I'm going through almost the same thing. And just, um, and so a lot of times, like, I don't, know what to say because then again I I don't know if it's better to say something and maybe it's not the right thing or to not say anything at all even myself because um, I haven't really been a bystander to it but all I can say is that for me if I was talking to the kid I would probably again not a psychologist or therapist but I would say for me what was really important was like getting a structure back because kind of when those things start to happen the structure tends to fall away. Obviously productivity kind of falls away. So for me, it was important to make a structure, especially because I overate and overslept. Those were my things as opposed to sometimes I know people undereat or can't sleep. I just like to sleep all the time, which is like terrible, but like also good. Um, but at the time it was not helpful. So for me, it was important to get a structure, set a time when to wake up, like actually get out of bed what time to go to bed. So there's only like that seven and nine hour window of sleep. It's not more, it's not less. Um, and just, I just started with little tasks. Just started with little things, either just to do around the house or just go out and I'm gonna go grocery shopping today. Just little things to start checking off the boxes to start getting me back on the train of being like a functional human. And so I would recommend a kind of system like that, but just because that's what helped me. Obviously, it's, this is not like a professional opinion, <laughs> but I just know like little goals like that. Like I'm going to go shopping today. I'm going to do laundry today. I'm cleaning this today. And then definitely getting back on an exercise regimen um, and more proper nutrition obviously helped me feel physically a lot better. So you'd say maybe for elite athletes, something I hear quite a lot. Sorry. Um, I remember, for example, who was it? Sean White was saying he thinks one of the keys to success for him being a snowboarder is that for maybe four months a year, he doesn't get on a snowboard, he gets on his skateboard, he goes and hits the drums or something like that. Um, maybe to not that extreme, but you'd say it's maybe quite important to have other things in your life as an elite sportsman that are outside your sport. Yeah, and for me, like definitely, like my social life was pretty nil. Like it was just whomever I saw at the rink, and then it was so very much an afterthought. Like it was like I'll fit you into my schedule after skating all the boxes have been checked off and even then it was still like this I had so much anxiety about it because I was like you know Olympic champions don't go out okay like 
they do. Um, they just, you know, it's just because, again, it's a lifestyle. It's kind of, um, yeah, and then just finding outlets, finding hobbies, like being able to, like, let, because I used to just have, like, this death grip, like, on life. And so just being able to let go for a little bit um, is nice because then when I do go back to it, yeah, and it doesn't have to be anything, like, wild or crazy, but just being able to have like one or two other things that you're passionate about or that you do and that allow you to just kind of relax. Cause sometimes it's, you know, like when you say a word over and over again to the point where it sounds dumb and then you like can't even say it at all. That's what I feel like sometimes whatever sport we do is like where we just do it sometimes so many times. And like, if we just do it too often and in a row, like we almost end up chasing our own tail and just kind of thinking like what's going on. Like, I can't imagine running. I think that track and field athletes, there is no way that I could run, especially, like, long distance, especially sprinters. Like, just running from here to here every day, all the time. Like, I would just, like, running would feel like I just wouldn't be able to do it. So let alone, like, that I think is, like, really impressive. So I feel like with skating, at least there's a little more movement diversity. But it's the same concept. Like, if you're just... I mean, I've even had it sometimes, like, um, since I've, like, been getting, like, back into shape. Like, I'll have days where I'm just, you know, in the morning on the elliptical, you know, in the afternoon on the elliptical. Okay, like, 10 days in, I can't, like, just doing this, like, I can't even think about it because I'm so done with it. And I realized, like, that was kind of happening with skating is that I was so over it. I wasn't really liking it, but I just had this, like addiction to like this like need to do it to the point where like I wasn't even doing it well I was just doing it because I was like I need to do it so apart from the monotony of the elliptical how's uh, been getting back into shape going are you kind of enjoying the process of getting getting back to it and being active and I would say it's 80 20 so 80 percent I'm like loving it um you know just getting back into living because not even just for skating, but just like living like in a healthier body and a healthier minds, you know, just does wonders for the way that I live my life. But um, then there's like 20% that I absolutely hate. And sometimes I'm just so like overwhelmed because of course, like it doesn't help that like I'll look up like a photo from when I was like 18 at the Olympics. And then, of course, like the like eating disorder that lives in my head and body dysmorphia is like, you're gross. Like, please quit. <laughs> or like walk by a mirror and like in my head like yeah like my body is more feels like ew <sighs> please leave I mean it says other things that like I don't probably aren't like interview appropriate but um <laughs> um <laughs> yeah that's exactly what happens in my head so then that part is like like I can't yeah and then I get mad because I'm like then you let yourself get out of shape but then the other part's like well you had like you had like a mental illness the big word you said to me that just talking to you that I'm getting from this was share. So the fact that you shared your issues helped people share their issues with you and in turn that sharing has helped made the problem a little bit better both ways. Is that right? I think so. I, I mean, I think so just in the small group of people in life that I've been in contact with. So far, it seems like it's helping, but that's kind of that's kind of just how it starts. Sometimes you just have to come out and you just have to say it. You just have to say something and get the ball rolling and then move from there, positive or negative. You just have to start. So looking back, there were definitely some clear indicators, even early on, that 
you know, definitely were foreshadowing later events. So now, I mean, just having lived through that obviously has been a huge eye opener. So already in like my toolkit, so to speak, there are like these are, you know, certain things would be like yellow warning lights and then there's orange and then like before we get to red. Yeah, because we get to code red emergency again, like that's like then I didn't have a toolkit set up if we get back there again. Um, yeah, so of course, like I have a therapist and the people in my immediate support group, family and friends, I think since they all kind of know and since I went through a whole thing and they themselves have become more well versed on how to help deal with it, which is like a big thing for the support group. Um, that has also really changed. So then if I come, you know, if I'm feeling this way one day or this is starting to happen or I feel going this way, they are also aware of some of the indicators and, you know, we can all kind of take action together. And are you, have you got a date or a competition that you're looking for or is that out the window now and you're just looking to start enjoying the sport again? Just enjoying it. And when we feel like we're like 80, 85% back, um, is like when we'll compete again. But I just, just like another thing that if I pick a date, I'm gonna be so neurotic about it and out of control that I'm like, when we feel ready, we'll just, you know, acknowledge what date it is on the calendar and then we'll choose a competition that's like appropriate for that date. And then we'll go from there. Beijing 2022, is that a thought at the moment? What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? Oh, plenty of thoughts. Um, so many thoughts. Um, I would, yeah, that's like the goal which is why we're not rushing more things now because I'm not, I don't want to push myself to be ready. Like you have to be doing X, Y, and Z in October. Cause really the ultimate goal is the 20, yeah, 2020, 21 and 21, 22 seasons. Like those two would be like really the goal because although I would just, you know, like love to just skate so well at like a summer competition this year, Ultimately, by the time 2022 rolls around, I'm not gonna remember the summer competition, but that's kind of what we're basing off of is Beijing and then like working back from there as opposed to focusing like, I like to focus like one month at a time where like every month is equally as important. It's not like there are some that are more important, but I'm very much like, this is like just even day by day, this is the most important day, which again, I think is great for an athlete. I tell some of my students that like day by day. Um, but again, with my death grip on like the steering wheel of life, it's like, relax a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Gracie, thank you very much for sharing your story and talking to us. Thank you. Olympic Channel Podcast. Thanks to Gracie Gold. You can follow her on Instagram, GracieGold95. You could show some support for Gracie by putting up an Instagram story with a screenshot from the episode. Give Olympic Channel a tag as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing those come through. You can follow me on at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E on all socials as well. If you like this episode, then maybe you'll like our interview with best friends and figure skaters Evgenia Medvedeva and Jason Brown. We spoke to both and Brian Orsa just after the World Championships. Here's a clip of Brown and Medvedeva. I found out I was moving to Toronto. Um, Brian told me that Evgenia was going to be moving and to Toronto. And he just texted me. And, yeah. <laughs> and now I was so surprised because I didn't know that he going to skate in the cricket club. And I was like... 
excuse me, what? <laughs> oh, that's great. And um, he was the first person who I knew uh, in Toronto who met us in the um, airport yeah. with my mom. We're still so grateful for this because, yeah, that's so like complicated to move from one country to another. And he helped us so <laughs> much, you can't even imagine. I've put a link in for that in the episode description. If you are enjoying the podcast, then leave a five-star review on the podcast app. Maybe put in which interviews were your favourite. And it would be great to hear from you who you would like to hear so we can start working on making that a reality. That is it for now, though. See you soon. Think like an Olympian.